Would you rather that I gave you a million dollars right now or a penny doubled every day for 30 days? Of course, I would instantly say the million dollars. And that's why everybody fails because (sighs) Mm. they start with a million dollars. But the penny is everything. Midlife ladies. This is the Dear Midlife Podcast. Unapologetic girl talk that will help you remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become. I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired woman full of sass, sparkle, and a heavy dose of black girl magic. So grab a glass and let's dive into the messy middle. Okay, so Trinity, I have a dirty little secret to share with our listener out there. (laughs) I am a people pleaser. Girl, as long as I've known you, you don't think I know that about you. (laughs) Listen, here's the million dollar question though. Why? That is a great question. And it's honestly something I've really been contemplating a lot in the last few months. And, you know, I think it comes down to, I guess I'm just desperate to have people like me. And I'm Mm. so desperate that I would literally sacrifice myself in the process. And I think it's this old narrative. There's so many answers to this question. Oh my gosh. It could be societal conditioning that causes women to put everyone else's needs before their own. Maybe it's just part of who I am. Maybe I like doing things for others, but I can't stop. (laughs) Or maybe you just like to let people push you around. Yeah. You know, I'm kidding. I love you, but I want you to know you're not alone, honey. Mm. You are not alone. There's so many of our listeners, and even, yes, every once in a while, me, in this boat. <laughs> so to our listener out there who shares this dirty little secret mm-hmm. with Shelby, today's guest, Suzanne Kohlberg, will be able to provide you with just more refreshing guidance and some reassurance. Suzanne, she calls herself a nope coach. And <laughs> this is a coach that knows how to help you stop yourself in your tracks Mm. from living this way. So she's a coach and she's an author and she helps what we call over givers. That's the new politically correct. Right. right? You're not a people pleaser, honey. You're an over giver. Um, (laughs) But she helps these over givers, these people pleasers learn to set boundaries and say no in a way that feels good. Yes. Suzanne is amazing. She is a certified practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. She holds a bachelor's of medical science and has a variety of other certificates that she leverages in helping women to stop over-giving, over-consuming, and over-doing everything. And it's her mission. Hell the fuck. Yes. (laughs) It is her mission to help women set boundaries for themselves and to make actually boundaries normal, which, you know, I I need to learn 
to do better. And she just simply wants us to normalize saying no so that we do it more often and more comfortably. Mm. And girl, if you are a people pleaser, then we want you to make Shelby happy and me happy. This is your time (laughs) to people please. And you can do that by sharing this podcast with a friend and by leaving us a review. And now let's all welcome to the show, Suzanne Kahlberg. Welcome to our podcast, Suzanne Kahlberg. Thank you so much for being here today, Suzanne. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. We're so excited to have you. We are so excited to have Suzanne because I want to share with you my little problem. My little problem is that I am a big people pleaser and I overextend myself all the time. And Suzanne calls herself the nope coach. So I I really want to know, Suzanne, why in the hell is it so hard for us women to say no? Conditioning, I'd say mostly (laughs) like the good girl archetype. A good girl is accommodating. A good girl says yes. A good girl doesn't disappoint. And somehow we just never question that conditioning and we keep hold of it well beyond the childhood and then into adulthood and then stunt our own growth and evolution from past, you know, past conditioning that we've held on to. So true. So why, I guess, what can we do about this conditioning, because I think we have to get to the root cause of the problem. I wholeheartedly agree that the conditioning in those narratives are what keep us in that space of trying to please everybody else but ourselves. What can we do then to resolve that conditioning? Well, the first thing is awareness, because so many people aren't aware that they're mm. even doing it. I'm not a people pleaser. I'm just generous. I'm not a people pleaser. Right. I'm mm. I'm just nice. And then it's interesting when you ask, you start to dig around with permission. Like I'm a coach. I never dig around without permission. But for most people, the root cause of it is I, I avoid conflict at all costs. And then mm. my question following that is, when you avoid conflict at all costs, you say yes to everything and you do all the things, externally there may be no conflict in your life Mm -hmm. what's going on inside like usually Mm -hmm. the internal conflict they're screaming no they're so resentful and it's just like and how does that play out usually staying up late watching netflix eating drinking shopping you know like all these other behaviors and then we spend so much of our time money and energy trying to find the right diet or the right program or the right freaking plan or a blueprint when mm-hmm. really if you just learn to say no, <laughs> yep. all of these things <laughs> kind of fall away because you don't have the need to stay up late and kind of soothe yourself because these are self-soothing behaviours that we do. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, you know, when does self-soothing become self-harm? Because I, there's nothing wrong with watching a good episode of Netflix. I am going to throw myself under the bus I love The Bachelor. It's mindless. (laughs) It's all scripted, whatever. I totally love it. 
But yeah. there's a difference between watching one episode and then binging entire seasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes the thing that we do for fun or for pleasure becomes a problem. It's the same with chocolate. I used to weigh twice what I do mm. now. I know a lot about overeating and mm. I still to this day eat chocolate every day, which amazes people. But there's a difference between a couple of squares or a little block and then one mm-hmm. or two family-sized blocks that you buy because it's cheaper, you know, <laughs> yes. like, oh, my goodness, yes. I save so much money. <laughs> and it's like you don't when you eat the entire thing. And then on the side it's like serving size and it shows you how to reseal it. I'm like, why do they even bother? Who reseals this? Be <laughs> that. Does dark chocolate count? Because I think dark chocolate is actually supposed to be good for you, right? Well, it's supposed to be, but I think, you know, anything to excess. I was having this conversation with my children. Uh, they're quite young, but I was like, you know, even water, like way, 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 way too much water is is not good for you because, you know, diluting all your electrolytes and all this sort of thing. But, you know, there is a balance to the things that we do in life. And I think so many of us are afraid to say no yeah. because of backlash, because of repercussions, because of what other people mm. might think. And then someone said to me once, and I, I disliked them for about a fortnight, two weeks. I don't know. A fortnight might be in Thank Australia. Thank you. We're like, oh, um, no. <laughs> and I was like, they said to me, people pleasing is the opposite side of the coin to narcissism. It's just that one is overt and one is covert. Because if you are saying yes and doing all the things so that somebody will like you, like, isn't that just as manipulative? And I was like, no, <laughs> I thought about it and I was like, I think they might have something. Because the thing There's is, if something you guys are to like, that. hey, Suzanne, let's go see, oh, what's this movie that's showing currently? My son's having nightmares about it. Megan, some horror thing. Mm. And oh, right, the doll, I'm like, yes. Thanks so much for inviting me. Um, I don't really do horror. What else is showing? Oh, guess what? Titanic's about to reshow. Let's go. So saying no doesn't mean, I think, you know, if I'm like, well, I don't want to say no because they might not invite me again or they might think I don't like them or whatever. But how often do we just cut off the conversation? The same as if you like invited me out for dinner, like let's go to do Chinese food. And I'd be like, I'd love to come to dinner. Chinese tends to have a lot of MSG. I have a lot of digestive stuff. Is there anywhere else you'd like to go? So I think sometimes people are so afraid of saying no because they think the person will make it mean all this stuff when really it's just kind of like, you know, acknowledging the invite, thanks for inviting me, is there something else that we could do? Like you might be like, let's go to the dog park, and I'd be like, I'm allergic to dogs. Let's go, you know, somewhere else. But we think that we have to, and then, if you do say, yes, let's go see Megan, then next time something else comes out that's scary, yeah. you guys will be like, oh, Suzanne was down for that. Let's go. And then next right. thing you know, you're six <laughs> months or 12 months into a friendship. They have this idea of you that's not even true. Right. And Im- imagine then when you say, actually, I don't like horror, they're going to be like, why didn't you say why something? Do you, why have you been coming with us? <laughs> right. And they're going to question Instagram. everything about you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're going to. And I think that's where a lot of this discontent comes up is because we're not honest from the very beginning about you know our preferences and if you guys want to go and see a horror movie there's no judgment enjoy (laughs) yeah but I don't particularly enjoy that as well and I think for a lot of our thing a lot of our conditioning is not to say anything because that's you know means that it's bad or you know but we we make it mean that like, but when you're really honest, it's like, oh, Suzanne's into totally trashy TV. Let's have a survivor night and we invite her. But, you know, let's watch a documentary. Suzanne's not going to come. <laughs> like, right, but right. you just know the person. And I think there's so much more honest 
connection than going along to something like when I first met my husband he's into anime like the Japanese animation oh yeah Mm -hmm. and it and I remember like I just watched one show with him and then I was just honest I was like this is not me (laughs) and he was like that's cool (laughs) and find things that we do both like rather than me having to sit through like I'll, I'll handle Studio Ghibli like I don't know if you guys know that Spirited Away yep. and that kind of stuff. I like those, but any of the others, I'm like, yeah, it's just it's a no. So it's like it's learning, finding a shared ground rather than making it mean like I don't fit in this club because we don't both enjoy the same things. Mm, okay, and I love that. I love this idea of finding shared ground, especially for those that have a hard time saying no because they feel like they're either going to be unloved or unwanted, or they don't want to bring about conflict, this idea of finding shared ground is so collaborative. It is so, you know, um, it's not saying no, because it is saying, you know, and here's an option that we can do together because I value you. I value this relationship. I value our time. And I think that's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, reclaiming the no, no, doesn't mean hard stop the end friendship right. relationship over right. no means and also too no can mean not right now so I think sometimes too when someone says hey can you stay back for five minutes of work and just do this task and today I could I was like sure five minutes is never five minutes people it's usually like two right. hours <laughs> exactly but if you were honest and said like so say you're like can you Suzanne can you stay back for five minutes and I'm like sure and it actually takes two hours and I say look Trinity when you asked me for five minutes, it actually ended up taking me two hours. So I just want to, you know, clear the air here. It's not telling you off. It's not whatever. And then, you know, so in future, or if you ask me again, like depending on having this conversation, because I may not be available, like I've got to pick the kids up from school or, or, or mm-hmm. you don't even need an excuse. I have an appointment. I have something else. But it's when it becomes like if you ask me and I say yes, and it becomes this weird unspoken of precedent. And then I don't say anything because I don't want to lose my job or annoy my boss or whatever. And I keep doing it. And it gets to the point where I'm so resentful that I just lose it. And this is how many of us try and set boundaries. We're like, oh, my gosh, you always ask me. You take advantage. And you kind of blow up. And the person's like, whoa. (laughs) Whereas if you'd just actually spoken up heaps sooner, then there would have been a very different situation. And I think that's for so many of us, we we let it go until it becomes a blow up and then it becomes a blow up and all our fears come to truth. Whereas mm. if we'd actually said, oh, they could have asked somebody else. Like if you need a task done, and I see so much of this, so many of my clients who um, who are you know traditionally employed and they, they work in like a publishing house or something that has a deadline and the person gives it to them with like an hour to go. And I'm like, have you ever said, in order to have this in time, like I need this by this time, um, otherwise it's not going to happen because their inability to be organised is not your problem, but you need to communicate it mm-hmm. ahead of time, not at the 11th hour when you're about to lose it. And so many times people don't realise that there's other people available that they can ask or people think that you don't mind. Like another example, the classic one is babysitting for yeah. like you're asking your parents, the grandparents to babysit. And it's like, well, the, the the person will think they want quality time with their grandchildren, so they like doing it. But sometimes mm-hmm. the grandparents can be like, they're just like, I don't want the kids here all the time or whatever. But if you just said, hey, like not this week or not this time, most parents are like, sure, we'll hire a babysitter. 
or find someone else. They can go to a friend's house. Yeah. But often it's this unspoken thing and both sides of the party are resentful of each other. And if somebody actually spoke up, we can open a whole new conversation that so many of us just don't have. I love, yeah. and here's what I'm curious about, Suzanne. So I see like, while they are close kissing cousins, I see a difference between setting boundaries and saying no. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you have a position on, is one better than the other? Is one preferred over the other, especially for those that maybe do have a challenge? Is it best to go into the relationship or into any sort of relationship, whether it's work or personal, where you are setting boundaries early so that the no's are less frequent? Or does that create some other type of tension within the relationship? That is such a great question. So often sometimes, especially in the beginning when we've never set a boundary or we're nervous about it, we let it go too far. And then Mm -hmm. we can kind of, instead of setting a boundary, we set a barricade. So like Mm -hmm. for for anybody listening, a boundary in the the most basic definition is a separating. So like a line, like if you you think of it in property, there's a boundary between my house and the neighbor's house. And so here, here is the line. And in a physical space, like a house or or property, like, you know, I have a boundary around, of all things, my textures, like my markers, these are mine, these are mummies, <laughs> and these are yeah. the kids because I always blunt the ends on them and whatever. So, like, in terms mm. of physical boundary, it's a lot easier to, to see in your mind. But a personal boundary is in, like, a amount, a time boundary, like how long a task will take, or it also depends on your own personal capacity. So I think sometimes when we say yes to something, we feel like we've set a precedent, like in the court of law forevermore, I am available at 3 p.m. on a Friday or something. So it's just kind of like when we're setting the boundaries, you know, with people, even how you answer something, like I can do it now or this time or, or whatever, but then if it comes up again, having that conversation about, like, is this expected? Is this added to my task? Is this, you know, going forward? Because the other thing that I think so many of us don't consider separate to boundaries and saying no is our own capacity. Like I am a mm-hmm. highly sensitive introvert. I was listening to you guys intro and one of you was a raging extrovert. I laughed. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Tell me, it was you. And yeah. I, I'm like, I might want to do it, but I might not. So like people who are close to me, I will, like now I'm truly honest. So say it depends on the event. If you guys are getting married and I'm having an introvert day, I'll overcome that. Like introverts mm-hmm. aside, I'm coming to your wedding. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if right. it was like, let's just go out to dinner and I'm like, I'm capped. Like I just right. need I some alone time. Today. Yeah. yeah. It, it will be less fun for everybody involved if I turn up. Yeah. The level of honesty I think, and people are afraid of to, to to be that honest with their friends. The thing is we can sniff the BS anywhere. If you're like, <laughs> mm. I've got a cough or I've got a headache, like you tend to <laughs> right. make up some lie and people yeah. know that, like they can smell the lie. Whereas I'm just like, I'm having an introvert day, like love you fiercely, not today. It's amazing how people are like, oh, they get it. And they're not making it mean I don't want to see them and they're not making it mean. So it's like when you're setting these boundaries and saying no and having this discussion, this is just who I am 
or like I have a child with anxiety and a child with autism. So sometimes I've had a, a really tough parenting week. And it's mm-hmm, funny, just before too. we hit record on this today, I was like, oh, what a month this morning is. <laughs> exactly. Oh my sometimes God. once you get into the rhythm, it goes away. So it's like, well, I'm not going to cancel mm-hmm. on a podcast interview. Like I'll turn up for this. But had it been like a coffee with friends, I might have just said like I need some time. But it's yeah, you choosing yeah. where you're going to cross your boundary or where you're going to hold it and and how it feels good for you is all part of this. Mm. I find this so interesting because I'm sitting here thinking as you're talking about sometimes I think that there's so much conditioning and we're so accustomed to giving into everybody else's needs, whims and fancies. And as women, we do that a lot. We just put the needs of other people before us. Have you ever encountered clients or women that you're helping that just don't even know who they are? They don't even know what they want anymore because they put the needs of other people so far ahead of their own needs that they've really lost who they are as a person. And the reason that they can't say no is because, or the reason they can't set boundaries effectively is because they don't even know who they are or what they want themselves. So they just go along. And so how do you help women like that overcome this lost identity and, and recover and reclaim who they are and what's important to them? This is so common. And and this Mm. was me. I was like, Mm. I remember somebody asking me, what are my hobbies? And I was like, I'm a mum. I like a hot cup of tea and peeing alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but the thing is, but for anybody in that situation, like we can laugh about it and I can laugh about it on the other side. But when you don't know what your needs are, you don't know what your passions are. Like I remember reaching the point in my life where I'd done the things. Like I was married, I had the house, I had the kids. I was like, you know, what now? Like nobody talks about after that. So mm. a starting point is identifying what you don't like. Because sometimes it's so often easier to go what away from than towards. So, and I think that's where a lot of us, we reach the point of burnout or reach the point of just mm. like losing it. They called it, I heard it the other day for the first time, the exploding doormat. Either of you mm. heard that phrase? <laughs> no, but it's like the, a people pleaser is a doormat. So they're just yeah, like, yeah. yes, oh, yes, yes. Until they reach the point, nobody ever does anything for me. Your kids never pick up and then you, they lose it. <laughs> so yeah. what don't you like? And starting there. So for me, I don't like horror movies. I don't like anime. I don't like coffee. I, you know, like going through all the things that you don't like. And then how are you going to be unavailable for that? And it might be in the beginning. Like another thing I don't like, I don't like selling chocolates for the school fundraiser because Uh, they're $4 a packet. They send you home with 50 of them. I'm an introvert, so I'm not going door to door. I don't know many people. (laughs) And I end up spending 200 bucks and eating all that chocolate, which I don't need, or fending it away from my kids who don't need it. So then I'm like, what is the school doing? They're raising money. How much do they get? Maybe a dollar a packet. So I cut out the middleman now. I'm like, here's $50 because I'm going to spend 200 anyway. Don't send the chocolates home. (laughs) You're happy. (laughs) I'm happy. Let's get on with our lives. Perfect. So like looking at the things, what don't you want to do? I don't want to do PNC. Like to all the people listening out there who love the parents and parents and carers, parents and children, like, you know, the Mm. committees, more power Mm -hmm. to you. I can donate in other ways. Here, have some money. <laughs> like, yeah, right. But it's looking at the things that you you don't want to do. I don't want to bake cupcakes ever. 
Like um, that's not how I contribute in the school. I, I will go and help people read maybe once a term or I'll contact books or like what are the things that you will do often starts with what you won't do. And then how many of these things do you do because you feel guilty or you feel obligated but then you realize like my kid's school has over a thousand kids. There's another thousand mums out there who, you know, there'd be at least one I'm sure who loves to bake cupcakes or, you know, take the kindergartners around on their first day. It's just not me. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So the other thing that I want to dive into and unpack a little bit is that I know that you're certified and trained in NLP and hypnotherapy. So help us understand how you chose that path. I find this so interesting. <laughs> These are concepts I'm really sort of digging into. And how do you use those tools to help your clients? Originally, I went to medical school. So I was going to be a, a Western medical doctor. So that was the path that I was pursuing. Strongly encouraged mm-hmm. my, by my parents because they wanted to have a doctor in the family. Yeah, so that's yeah. like, you know, the people pleasing thing. I knew in first year it wasn't for me. I was like, I don't like this. Just, it's fine. It will get better. It, it did not get better for me. For other people, like, you know, that's their calling. But in the fifth year, I was like, no, nah, can't do this. So then I left medical school to become a personal trainer of all things because I found the answer to my weight. It was fitness. Um, so mm. I've wrote a book about this. If either of you would like a copy, send me your address later. I'll yes. post it to you. So I, um, I did fitness for a while and I gained all the weight back and I was like, oh, there must be like, I'm otherwise a smart person. What, what am I missing? And that's when I came across NLP, neuro-linguistic mm. programming for any of the listeners. The very first coach I went to, I'm nothing if not fully transparent. I thought it sucked. I was like, <laughs> this, this is dumb. Like I remember her going, do you see the dots? And the people pleaser I was, I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I didn't see shit. <laughs> so I was like, this is the dumbest modality known to man. Like, I don't understand why people do anything with this. Um, and I threw it all away. And then about six months later, I hired another coach. And some of the stuff that she used, I was like, is this NLP? Like, I was savvy after that. And she's like, well, yes, it is. Why do you ask? I'm like, oh, NLP doesn't work. And she's like, why do you say that? And then I told her about the whole dots experience. And then she's explaining like, we chances are you're not a visual person. I'm not, I'm kinesthetic. So mm-hmm. she was like, if we change the way that we speak with you. And anyway, it was really interesting. So for anyone listening, if you have a bad experience with something the first time, another one I had a bad experience with the first time was kinesiology. I haven't trained yeah. in that, but I've had experiences. The first practitioner, we just weren't a match. And then the second person I went to, I was like, oh, kinesiology sucks because I said I'm nothing if not honest. And then I was open to another experience. So anywho, all that to say, I had great experience the second time with NLP. And um, I was doing an executive assistant job at the time because my children were young and it was hard to get back in the office. And I got fired from that. So that's a whole other story. (laughs) And um, the lady who I'd coached with in in NLP said, look, I'm doing a training. I think you'd make a great coach. It starts next week. Do you want to come? I was like, oh, this is divine timing. (laughs) So that's what I I trained in then. And what I love about it for anyone listening who is not familiar, the way I describe it is like on our computer, and I love how I use tech examples because I'm not very techy. But we understand we need to like defrag it. We need to make sure it doesn't get viruses. We need to upgrade the software. Like you'll get the message going, you know, the latest install, the latest update. NLP is like that for our mind. We run these programs that we've learned from childhood or we've learned from previous jobs, like this conditioning that 
perhaps isn't serving us any longer. So NLP allows us to like defrag and, you know, take those drivers away and update to ones that are, you know, more useful to us. That's a great um, analogy for sure. I think um, I have always kind of thought about it similar to your first experience, right? Where the things that I would hear, I'm like, well, that just doesn't make a ton of sense. Like it just, this feels like we're just doing an exercise for an exercise's sake. It doesn't feel like it has any meaning to it, but what you've just said really, really connects. What are some of the, maybe some of the more common exercises or, or methods that help to create that defragging environment or one where you can upgrade? Well, I think what I've personally experienced is most powerful with NLP and then following, I didn't get to hypnotherapy, but I did that as well, mm-hmm. is the language that the individual uses, that the person uses, is really important. So when you when you speak with an experienced coach or an experienced person, they will pick your tells mm. and they'll put them into the process. So so often with hypnotherapy and that people will, will go, oh, here's a, you know, like there's these, they're always trying to sell them on Facebook, the virtual gastric band hypnosis and the uh-huh. be more confident hypnosis. And I'm not saying that they're bad, but the thing is, we all have the the words that land for us and then other words that give us a word allergy. Like if someone yeah. says to me, have a gratitude practice, I just shudder inside because as soon as I hear gratitude, I can hear my parents saying, you should be grateful. There's starving children in Africa. So I have a word allergy to that. So it just doesn't yes. land. Whereas when you work one-on-one with a coach or a practitioner and they mirror your language back to you, that's your particular program that you have going on that you can, you know, take away and replace with something that doesn't cause that shudder. Because like that very first coach, because I was such a people pleaser, I didn't feel comfortable saying to her, I don't see anything. If I had of, mm-hmm. we would have had a very different conversation. But I was just like, yep, yeah, sure. Yep, yeah, I see the dots. Yep. Yeah, I didn't see nothing. Whereas the second lady, I was like, I've just spent a boatload of money and here's this here again. I'm I'm just done. <laughs> I was like, I don't see anything. And I think, you know, when you're people pleasing your coach, when you're people pleasing the person who's helping you, you're not going to get anywhere. Like if you're working with someone and they give you a task and then you come back the next week and you haven't done it, own that. Like I didn't do it. Great. You said you would. Let's unpack that. And I think that's the power of NLP and processes. We want to make changes, but we don't know how. So we hire someone, but then we're worried we're going to annoy them. So we just kind of lie. I did the journaling. Yeah, it was great. (laughs) Right. And it's just kind of like, oh, so like a lot of my clients, if journaling isn't their jam, what about voice journaling? Like what about saying it out loud? Oh, I never thought like there's ways to do the thing that aren't the traditional ways. Mm -hmm. And that's why working with somebody is so good because I remember when I was, super morbidly obese, I always thought if I could just hire someone to slap biscuits out of my hand, like, you know, to follow me around. (laughs) And so many people think this, if I just had enough money, then I wouldn't have any of these issues. But on the other side of that, you just fire them. You just be like, get out. And then you'd be like, that person sucked. I need another one. So like, we are always the problem. But we're also always the solution. And the answer isn't as easy as just hiring somebody or just this. It's like looking at why do we think like that? Why do we say this sounds amazing? Get off the call and go, I ain't doing that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And why do we not be honest about, you know, why this isn't working? 
So what's your answer to those questions? Like, what did you find in, you know, working with your clients? Why are they not doing the work? Why are they wanting to make a change, but not willing to put in the effort? Like, what is the answer to these questions? It it differs for everybody, but I think fundamentally underneath it all is we have a lot of archetypical patterns of behavior. So an archetype is like a pattern of behavior. And the people who come to me and who are in this is the extremist archetype, the all or nothing. So it's kind of like, I'm going to do all the things or I'm going to do no things. It's like for every diet, there's an equal and opposite binge. So if Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to do it all. And you're feeling motivated, you hire the coach. And then you try and do too much too soon. Like this is, I think, fundamentally underneath it. We try and do too much too soon. We burn out and then we go back to the other extreme. And this is Mm. why when I work with people, I make the things so small. We call them the pennies, like a penny, like Mm. a cent, a tiny little thing. And they're just like, this is never going to work. This is never going to amount to anything. And it's like a penny doubled every day. Have you guys heard this thing before? about a penny. I've heard it, but I don't remember it. Yes. Tell us again. So would you rather that I gave you a million dollars right now or a penny doubled every day for 30 days? Of course, I would instantly save a million dollars. And that's that's why everybody fails because (sighs) they start with a million dollars. Okay. I'm going to eat less. I'm going to move more. I'm going to find my purpose. I'm going to meditate. Yes. (laughs) This is it. Right. And then the second you miss one of them, you go, oh my gosh, this isn't it. I'll start again Monday. You know, the universal day to change your life. Right. And Monday. And then between now and Monday, you (laughs) eat all the stuff that you're never going to eat again. You spend all the money, you buy all the stuff, you know, that is why 17 gallons of whiskey. Whereas the penny it's like, okay, so what's the smallest action you can do? Well, that's never going to amount to anything. But a penny, so on, on day one, you have one cent, and then you have two cents, four cents, eight cents, 16 cents. We're on day five. It's like, I, I would rather have a million bucks, please. 32 yes. cents, 64 cents. Like, let's go $1.25 because it's getting too hard for my brain. $2.50. On day 10, we have five bucks. So it's like, would you rather $5 or a million? You're crazy. This, this bitch crazy. Exactly. <laughs> 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 40 bucks, 80 bucks, 160 bucks. We're 15 days in and I've got $160 and I could have had a million. This woman doesn't know what she's doing. 320 bucks, 640 bucks. Like it's still not interesting. Uh, um, so it's 620. 1280. 1280. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go 2,500. Just we're rounding it. You know, okay. 5,000. We're 15 days in. Ten thousand, twenty thousand, forty thousand, eighty thousand, hundred sixty thousand. I'm not sneezing at one hundred sixty, but you could have had a million. Yeah. yeah. You know what are we at now? Day twenty, twenty five or whatever. And then this is where it starts to get really interesting. Where were we? I've forgotten how many thousand. One hundred and twenty. One hundred twenty. Two hundred forty. Four hundred eighty. Nine hundred sixty. What? <laughs> if you right. work it out properly, by the time you get to day thirty, you've got five million. What because you add everything that you've happened. received in the previous days as well. Because it's a penny mm-hmm. that doubles. Mm-hmm. And the thing is the penny, the, the, the positive effect of compound interest, people are like, oh, the penny doesn't mean much. What I, I, I don't have the effort to do all the things today, so it won't matter. I'll do it tomorrow. But the penny is everything. Because if you drop the penny, you have to start all over again. And that's why so many of us are like, I've tried that. I've tried NLP. I've tried hypnotherapy. I've tried this diet. I've tried, I've tried everything. 
You probably mm-hmm. tried it maybe for 15 days, maybe. Most people, yeah. if you're really honest, maybe five days and then you quit. And all these gains are so small because at five days, you're still at what, one, two, four, you're at 10 cents. So it's like (laughs) to stay in the game, to believe in what you don't yet see beyond what's physically in front of you is, is a level of effort that most of us aren't willing to put in. And so I say to people, transformation isn't what happens when you're motivated. Transformation is what, what you do when you can't be bothered. Like it's funny this morning, I was telling you before we jumped on a whole palaver with my kids and I was like, I could just skip my walk. Like, you know, this still goes through my mind. I said, like, just go for five minutes, Suzanne, seriously. And people will be like, five minutes, what's that going to do? It's not going to burn many calories. It's not this of it. It's the penny. So my penny is I put my shoes on, I walk to my mailbox. That's the minimum walk. Ends up most of the time being an hour. But if I say mm-hmm. to myself, go for an hour, I haven't got an hour. The kids are fighting. I've got to get, you know, but the penny is what compounds. Once you're out the door, once you've got earbuds in, once you're like, oh, silence, you take, you know. So the reason so many of us fail repeatedly is that we go all in and then when I say like do this tiny little thing, oh, that's not going to do anything and then they don't. But it's staying with that little thing each day that becomes a big thing over time. That's how I dropped 171 pounds. Good for you. It was like just keep going even when nothing's happening because it compounds over time. So I'm curious if there's a way to um, do a mashup on this penny mentality with saying no for those that the idea of saying no is so very daunting and gives them anxiety and is hard to um, rationalize emotionally. Mm -hmm. Is there some way that they could apply the penny mentality to begin to build those muscles? A hundred percent. So it's kind of looking at the circumstance. So when you first starting to say no, it, is usually almost often the hardest with people who are close to us, our partners, mm-hmm. our children, our, fa- our immediate family, friends. So mm-hmm. it's like, well, could I start with people who don't yet know me? Because they don't know another version of you. So if you're at the shop and someone says, you know, do you want a bag? And, and you know, because so, so, I was such a people pleaser, I'd say yes to everything. And I'd be like, no, thank you. Whatever you're offering. <laughs> You know, you know, no, no thanks. I don't want to bag with that. Or could you ask for, you know, could you ask for something in, in a safe way or, or, or on the phone? Like pick pick examples of things that just don't seem because it's it's all interesting. It's on a it's on a spectrum. Because to some people, mm. they'd be like, You're celebrating what? Like you just say no thanks. It's not that big of a deal. But to I me, I was take the a queen Woo! of the adult sale. <laughs> like you could get me with everything because I'll just be so I don't want to say no. But you know, or even saying no to yourself. Like every time I went to the mm. supermarket or filled up petrol, I'd always get chocolates because you know they're just right there on the counter. So it's yeah. like every time to this day, every time I don't buy chocolate when I go to the supermarket, score. <laughs> But, you know, just little, little ways. Or if you're really uncomfortable saying no, you can say, I'll get back to you. Mm. So, like, no, I, no one gets an answer out of me on the moment ever. I need to check my calendar, which is, like, legit. Yeah. But I'll check my calendar. And, like, it, it, and then celebrating as it grows. Because the thing is, so say, for example, I'm a coach. I am very unusual in that I don't conduct business via DM. For me, DMs are for memes and funny reels. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And then very recently somebody sent me a message 
And I wrote back and said, I'm different. I don't do business in the DM. Here's my email. If you want to discuss, you know, send me an email. In the past, they've been like, oh my gosh, they're never going to want to work with you, all this sort of stuff. But the thing is, if they're not, we're just not a fit. That's okay. I do my business via email. So like, what are your standards or what are the things that you're not available for? And how can you start to introduce them? Because if somebody wants it enough, they will move through mountains. Like look at the things that we... If one of your kids is sick or needs something, you would go to the ends of the earth for it. So if somebody wants your help, especially if they're asking you for something, hey, can you do this for me or can you have a look at this? Or I'm not available right now, but I can check it out on Friday. Well, I can't wait to Friday. Better ask someone else then. Like that's not being rude. That's being honest. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we are so afraid that we put ourselves out. So in what way can you kind of in a small way start to do that and then celebrate? Oh, what's that mean? Didn't die. (laughs) Ah, the next time and the next time and then it's just also too the first time that you set a boundary the first 10 times the first 20 times it kind of it's uncomfortable it reminds me I assume most of your listeners are women am I right yes yes yeah so we've got two guys guys. (laughs) well to the two guys you might want to put your fingers in your ears or you can still get the analogy but if if when we're going to birth a child yeah. A bit of stretching has to happen first. You know, to suddenly go, here we go. So it's kind of like the first time it's like, oh, my goodness, it's a stretch and stretch and stretch, and then here's your baby. So the first time you say, like, no, I'm not available, not right now, you need to get back to me, here's this, each time it's just kind of like stretch. And then you get to the point where you're in transition where you're like, I can't do this. Suzanne's crazy. This is really dumb. You're already doing it. and then after that people will go it's amazing people message me now I know you don't answer dms and Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like then I have the choice whether I respond to that or ignore that entirely because if they're knowingly stepping over my boundary and they don't hear why are you "Mm." here it's amazing (laughs) then the next day or two days later I'll get an email I dm'd you but I know you don't do yet so it's kind of like when people know it's little boundary checkers like little kids are like can I have chocolate before dinner? No. Can I have chocolate before dinner? No. So it's just kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> so are there, like, is there an effective way to set a boundary? And when I say that, I mean, are there certain components or elements that you should say, like, this is what's important to me. This is why it's important. This is the consequence if you don't follow through. Do you have like components to a boundary or do you just find what feels comfortable to you? What do you recommend to your clients? I recommend to my clients looking at boundaries like you look at traffic lights. So when everything's going great and that's how we hope, it's green. Like you can just drive from here to there and smooth sailing all the way through. And then when there is a red light, that's when we have to pause. That's when we have to, you know, reassess. So if somebody has overstepped a boundary, like actually I'll I'll take it back to an orange light because an orange light technically means slow down. I don't know. In Australia, it kind of means floor it and try and get through. (laughs) (laughs) Houston, Texas as well, right? But when you have that orange light, it might be unintentional. So it's kind of if somebody's overstepped a boundary unintentionally, that's just a time where you, I've got the perfect example for this. My sister runs a scrapbooking shop. So card Mm -hmm. making, and she's recently gone from having a bricks and mortar thing to being fully online. And the website is like 24 hours. So a couple of weeks ago, she got a call at 2 a.m. from this person who had a question. The reason she she even answered the phone, like we had a whole boundary discussion after this. But anyway, she answers the phone. This person has a question. And my sister's like, "Um, business hours is, you know, nine to five. Can you call back tomorrow? 
And the person's like, but your website says you're available 24-7. And she's like, the website is open 24-7. It's like you can shop, but I will answer questions from nine to five. So you could technically call that an orange light, unintentional boundary. Like maybe the person didn't know, like, you know, whatever. Hangs up the phone. The same person rings back. So now we've gone from orange light to red because she has just Mm. stated the boundary and said, hey, so this is where she's overstepped the mark. Once again, my sister picks up the phone. Like this is where, once again, we have some discussions. But she's like, I have a scrapbooking emergency and all this sort of thing. (laughs) Anyway, it continued. This lady rang back like five times. In the end, my sister got kind of stroppy and swore at her. Uh, Not her finest moment, but it's 2 a.m. I can understand. Then she blocks the number. Then the lady rings back however many times from an unknown number. And all this to say, this is a lesson learned. I said, why did you have your phone on? And she's like, well, because right. my mum is sick and that that's true. Mm. And I'm like, well, why don't you put her on do not disturb? So she didn't even know, like, you can have do not disturb so only certain numbers can come through. I've changed mm-hmm. her life anyway. Ah. But this is such a great example because then then she wakes up the next morning to a one-star Google review from this lady saying, I had mm. a scrapbooking emergency and this lady was rude to me and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, this it's all about how you spin it. She was like, oh, my gosh, my business is ruined. Everyone's going to think I'm terrible. And I'm like. A scrapbooking emergency? Seriously, I can right. have so much fun with this. What is it? <laughs> what in she the put hell the sticky is a tape I was like, what the hell is a scrapbooking emergency? This is what I'm hung up on now. <laughs> but what? the thing is, this is when we're stuck in our people pleasing or when we're in our thing of like, oh my God, this is what are people going to think? This is such a great example of this. And I'm like, anybody mm-hmm. sane would think like this would be, so, there's no such business as bad business. Anyway, this is a yeah. whole thing. But it's like when you say to somebody like, I'm not available. At, and it's harder with people who are close to you. So the, a really good example of someone close to me, my daughter, love her fiercely, has anxiety, mm. often wants to talk. What would happen is she'd come to me at 10 p.m., like when I'm getting ready for bed, and then I'd talk to her about it, get her settled, get her off to sleep. Then my brain's going and yeah. I'm up past 1 a.m. And I'm like, what you'll allow continue. This was the hardest boundary conversation of my life because this is my daughter. And I don't want her to mm-hmm. think that I don't love or I don't care or I don't value, but I also can't manage on not much sleep and my autistic son who gets up at four or five. So mm-hmm. I had to say to her, look, I'm not, I can't talk to you at 10 o'clock at night. Like, you know, we need to come up with another time. And I'm like, what about after school? And she's like, I'm not ready after school. Like it's still, so we, there was a back mm. and forth and this was a period of discussion and whatever, but now it's like between dinner and you know, say 7.30, that's the window. If you want to talk, if you want to unpack, if you want to, you know, this is when I can do it. But if you leave it past that and it's gone to bedtime, it has to wait till tomorrow. And it was so hard for me to uphold that and it was so hard because I feel like the world's worst mum and whatever. But these things that we set, it's not us being unreasonable or rude. It's like for the good of the whole family, for the good of ourselves. Mm. And if I'm not getting sleep because I'm up with my own head spinning, managing her stuff until 1 or 2 a.m., I'm not good for anyone. Yeah. So it's like looking mm-hmm. at why did we choose this boundary? Like is it – that's why I don't I don't teach. Like people are like, well, what do I do? I don't have a prescription mm-hmm. or a performer or anything like that because it would depend on your circumstance. So it's like looking at your circumstance. When are you available? Is it something that you want to do? Like sometimes when she brings something to me, it's not the best thing for me to handle. So I was like, that's something mm-hmm. that we bring up with your therapist and she sees therapy. Mm. And But also knowing your scope and where you're the best fit person for. Because when you try and be mm-hmm. all things to everyone, it doesn't work. Yes. 
No. And I love that point, right? Because I think so many of us are afraid. We've talked about this throughout the podcast, but when you take it from a different lens and when you just shift your mindset about setting the boundary and that it is not only for my good, but for the well-being of my entire family, then it makes perfect sense to be able to set that boundary. And the other thing that you did with your daughter that I really love that I just want to call to light is that you took a collaborative approach with her. And I think that's so valuable too. When you have someone in your life, that's so important that you want to set boundaries with them and you want it to work for them and you want it to work for you. I think that that's a perfect opportunity to sit down and say, well, I, what is your need? Here's my need. How can we make this work together so that you're Mm. happy and your need is met and I'm happy and my need is met? And I just think that's such a beautiful story. So thank you so much for sharing that because I think it exemplifies how we can actually set boundaries in a meaningful way so that it doesn't feel like I'm letting people down. Because again, that's the narrative that goes on in our heads, I think, as women, when we do have to say no, or we do have to set those boundaries. So thank you so much for sharing that example. I think that's just so beautiful. So good. And you know, yeah, Suzanne, as we, as we kind of round third base into home here in our conversation, I would love for you to just take a moment to describe the beauty and the benefit and the vision of what life can look like on the other side of setting boundaries and saying no, what would our listeners have to look forward to and just paint that picture for us? Oh, it's, that's such a great frame to look at it through because like the people in my life now and in my clients' lives, you have that level of relationship where you don't make it personal. Like if, if it's something that I can't attend because I've reached capacity or I've had something with the kids, I'm like, look, I'm having an introvert day or look, I am, you know, one of my children has needed me. They're like, oh, that's cool. Like, it's funny. There was a person I was supposed to meet up with just this week and the kids have just gone back to school because here in Australia, we do the school year on the school, right. on the calendar year. Yeah. And I was like, the, the transition to school has been really bumpy. Um, So I can't do this week. And then next week I have something else on. So it's going to be like the end of Feb. They're like, that's fine. And it was like, oh my goodness. I didn't have to worry that they were making it mean I didn't like them. I didn't have to put too much in my schedule, overcommit myself to meet this person. Like the people in your life get you and understand you. Mm. And it's just such a relief and you don't need to explain it. Like I could have just said, here's where I'm available. It would have been okay. But I, I felt like, you know, having a discussion and then just feeling supported by the people in your life instead of being the one who carries everything for everybody. And I don't know about, I imagine with the listeners, like I've always felt like the friend or the one who was always the one who started the events or yeah. you know, checked in with everybody. Like I always felt like I was the the linchpin, but to know like people were reaching out, how'd the school thing go back? Or, you know, it's just, it feels like the way I describe it is when I was an overgiver or I had a people pleaser, it was like I was forever holding out an umbrella and everybody else was covered by it while I was getting wet with a really sore arm. <laughs> mm. And now I hold the umbrella close so my arm's not tired and I'm dry and then I'm inviting the people to be dry mm. by my umbrella too, but I'm not having to do that at the expense of myself. And it is a process. Like it's always interesting to listen to someone and go, oh, you can dismiss it. You can be like, oh, it's easy for her. But in the beginning, there are some people, you know, like my daughter, she's going to be inconvenienced for five minutes 
or five hours or, you know, five times. It's, it's not convenient for her. But when people, you know, when we realise that we're perpetually inconvenienced and that's how we've lived our life and it's like there, there are ways that we can get around that and actually, as I said, have the umbrella closed and be dry yourself, it's so much a nicer way to live life. I love that. And thank you so much, Suzanne, for being here with us today. It has been so lovely and refreshing to hear your perspective on how we as women can escape this, again, old narrative that we have that we have to please every single person in the entire world. So Mm. thank you so much for being here today. And if our listener wants to find you, where can they find you? Um, So my website is SuzanneColberg.com. Um, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-C-U-L-B-E-R-G. It's interesting spelling. Um, I have a whole bunch of resources there. If you want to send me a message, click on the newsletter one. I send an amazing email. It's not just, hey, look at my blog. It's something unique each week. And if you reply to that, I will respond to you. Don't DM me. Don't DM her. <laughs> Don't DM. <laughs> email all the way. And then the reason is, and I'll quickly share that before we wrap up, One day my son said to me, point blank, you love your phone more than me. Mm. And in that moment I was shocked and then I was like, oh, my gosh, he has a point. I'm always on my phone. So from that moment I deleted email from my phone. I took off all my notifications and I checked my email once a day on my computer. And, yeah, sometimes we don't realize what we're doing until someone else reflects it back to us. So it's not me being a snob or having too strong a boundaries. It was like, yeah, I was more involved in other people's stuff than my own. Mm. Mm. That's a powerful message too. So thanks for sharing that story. And thank you so much for being here with us today. It was such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Suzanne. Yeah. No, 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 no. That is my new favorite. (laughs) Okay. So now that we have gotten this out of our system, what a freeing concept. And there's so much that we can take and internalize and do with ladies. So let's give you our top five right now. My first one, hands down, saying no doesn't mean the other person will be offended or that there will be some conflict on the other end. Instead, it can actually sometimes generate the opportunity for more collaboration and relationship and honesty. Yes, absolutely. And the second key point is that when you don't set boundaries or say no, when you need to say no, that can actually generate resentment. Mm -hmm. And people can generally, I think she said, sniff out that little white lie, such as like, oh, I have a headache. I can't go to dinner. I don't feel good. And they respect when you are actually honest with them and authentic to your own needs. 100%. Which brings us to number three. My love, you can begin to reclaim your own sense of self and your identity right now by defining what you don't like. Mm. And once you've defined what you don't like, you can then clearly define how you will set boundaries around those things. Yeah, this is a great place to start. Oh, great place to start because we all know what we don't like, right? That's so easy. So easy. And number four, if you're a people pleaser like me and you're not being honest with yourself or your coach, girl, you are not doing yourself any favors. 
right? You have to be honest. You got to look that face in the mirror, girl. Yes. And instead, what I love, the story that Suzanne shared with us about pennies. Use pennies to make small changes. These are micro shifts that when you do them consistently, they don't feel like big changes, but a lot of small changes add up over time. Yeah. You know, our fifth point, it's it's hard sometimes to think about saying no to the people that you love, but you have to realize that sometimes a collaborative approach to boundary setting with someone that you deeply care about, it's necessary. So you can still say no, but doing it through love by collaborating together on that. And by taking this approach, you're thinking about their needs, but you know what, girl, you're also making sure that your needs are getting met. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as Shelby said, she says she's a people pleaser. I will choose to say that up until this point, Shelby has been a people pleaser. And now she has new tools. We all have new tools to make that shift. Mm. So we want you to know that we are with you. We are with you in the game. We are with you at the party of yes, too much. So now we are going to move to the party of no and boundaries. Not out of being a pain in the ass. No. But out of thinking of the person and the people that matter. And first it's us. And then it's setting boundaries with the people that matter so that we can all live better lives. And if you've loved this episode, go on in, give us a like, share it with a friend and know that we love you. We do think about you often and dang it if Shelby and I don't talk about y'all every single day, every day, every day, because we love it here with you and we can't wait until we're with you again next week. Same time, same place. We'll see you right back here in the middle.